I grew up not a terribly tall person. Still not. Uh, it was just kind of something that hung with me in life. I'm not typically terribly cognizant of it. I am aware of it every once in a while, mostly when I'm having conversations with Cody and Ashley. They make me... F- it just It's just a thing. But I love it. It doesn't matter. But this was something that I kind of had to deal with in life. I don't come from a line of very tall people, and that's okay. But it does kind of put a target on your back in some cases. I started high school at four foot 11, which puts you in a box, albeit a small one at this case. It's a small box, but it kind of puts a target on your back. So uh, it, it factored into things that I wanted to do, like sports. I wasn't great at sports, but I was okay. I really wanted to play volleyball for some reason. Yeah, that didn't happen. So I was okay at sports, wasn't great at sports. I did other things too, I had lots of hobbies, no big deal. I played music, I was good, wasn't great. I did um, a lot of art stuff, I was good, not amazing. I went to school kind of far away from um, the, the place where I, I went to school. I lived far away from where I went to school. I lived kind of far away from where I went to church. And so I found myself kind of in the in crowd, but not really in the in crowd. I was just... I kind of spent some time on the fringes, and I felt like I was on the outside looking in a lot of my life. And uh, it wasn't like a hugely noticeable thing, but it was something that just kind of sat with me. And what the world was telling me was that I hadn't quite arrived. I was kind of experiencing FOMO before, like, FOMO was a thing. So what the world was telling me was that the other people were happier, It was the people that were wealthier, that lived in the bigger house, that got to do the crazy vacations, that had more friends. Those were the people that were happier. There's a pastor in the South that talks about these people as the ones that live in the land of Ur. Tall Ur, rich Ur, popular Ur. So um, maybe you can't relate to this. Maybe you have a friend that can relate to this. But, you know, sometimes... That just sits funny. I wonder if that's why, in hindsight, I kind of resonated with a few of the stories in the Bible. One of them, in particular, the story of King David in the Old Testament, one of the arguably greatest kings of all of Israel and the second king that they ever had. And I love the story of how he comes to be king. And so God wants to anoint a new king, so they send a prophet to the region that goes to the town, that goes to the family, and then the family assembles all of the kids to say, which one are you going to choose from? And this way God does this is he flips convention on its head, and he says, not the strongest, not the oldest, not the handsomest, but the youngest. He's the one that gets to become king. The one that the family has so disregarded from possibly even being on the list that they have him out tending sheep, still doing his chores, they don't even bring him into the lineup. And yet, God places him at the highest place in all of the land. So what this taught me was, what I was seeing, the reality that I was experiencing, was not necessarily the ultimate reality. So, I appreciated that. That in God's perspective, things might be flipped upside down from the world. And so, we're doing this series called Upside Down, and... One of the people in the Bible obviously known for some of the most upside-down things that were said was Jesus. And so we're going to be studying, this is the second week of a series, 
this particular passage of Scripture in Matthew 5 to 7, the Sermon on the Mount, where we're going to be focusing on some of the most powerful and some of the hardest truths that Jesus taught. Here's some of the crazy things that he said. Happy are those who mourn. It's good news when people persecute you. You've heard that it said, don't murder because you'll be liable to judgment. I ever wonder why he didn't say, because you're killing someone. Anyways, don't murder because you'll be liable to judgment. But I say that if you just get angry at somebody, you're liable to judgment. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery. But I tell you, if you even think about someone else lustfully, you've already committed adultery in your heart. If your eye causes you to sin, cut it out. When someone's taking things from you, give them some more. Turn the other cheek. Go the extra mile. Love your enemies. Countercultural 2,000 years ago, countercultural today. So we're going to continue to dig into these things. And I'm excited about it because I love the Sermon on the Mount. It is like an onion. As you peel back the layers, there is more and more and more that I learn about my own character and God's heart. And so no matter how long I spend in this, I tend to learn something. So I don't know if you're looking for something to read over the next eight weeks, but I've decided that I'm just going to spend this next series just reading through the Sermon on the Mount over and over and over again. I have yet to exhaust the things that God's trying to tell me. And so maybe you'd like to join me. But to continue the series today, we're going to be talking about the Beatitudes. Paul was here last week, kicked off with the first half, and we're going to be focusing on the second half of them today. So if you want to read along in your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 5, but we'll also have it on the screen up here. We're going to be focusing on the second half, but I want to read the entirety in context. So we'll start with verse 1. So here is Matthew 5. Seeing the crowds... He went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So just to start off, the term Beatitudes, which is kind of a churchy-sounding term, comes from the Latin that means happiness. And this section is so named because of the blessed sections at the beginning of each of these statements, or they call them blessings. And so the term blessed here is translated from a Greek word that means happy, fortunate, favored, to be envied. Now, I don't know about you, but this is not how I see the world working. Okay, so if I were to rephrase this like that, it says, happy, to be envied, are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Happy, to be envied, are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Happy, to be envied, are the merciful. Happy, to be envied, are the peacemakers. 
this is not what the world is teaching me. I'm seeing something different when I look around. So I decided to rework these into what I call the Danny Best real world version. So read along with me. To be pitied are the poor in spirit because they look like Eeyore. <laughs> to be pitied are the pure in heart since their lives are so one-dimensional. To be pitied are the merciful since they are weak and never get justice. To be pitied are the peacemakers since they spend all their time making sure no one is rocking the boat. And to be pitied are those who are persecuted since, well, they're being persecuted. So to have Jesus bless these people and tell, them, tell us that these people are happy to be envied, that's pretty upside down. Clearly, Jesus knows something about this that we don't. Certainly that I don't. He has a different view of what it means to be merciful and peacemaking. And so, look, I know that following Jesus is a little countercultural. I get that. And I know that I don't have to understand completely to obey fully. I get that. However, I don't like to do things for no reason. And I certainly don't like to go against the tide without a little bit of motivation. And so I start to dig in and I think, okay, it comes to these beatitudes. I know that I want to follow them. I know that I want to be this type of person. And so it seems to me like if I do these things, I'm going to become someone. What does future Danny look like? if he embodies these characteristics. Maybe this is the thing that Jesus knows that I don't. And so as I process this, as I think through this, as I kind of boil down what these characteristics are going to look like, I feel like I can sum up in a single word what I think this person is going to look like. And it is this. Nice. How incredibly pedestrian. This is terribly unmotivating to me, I have to be honest. And I think it's possible that when we look at a lot of the things in Scripture, the commands of Scripture, this is where we land on the things that Jesus wants us to do. Nice people. I mean, I know we all want to be humble and meek and all that stuff in a perfect world, but I mean, is this is this all there is? I know the world thinks so. I mean, that's why we have these Ned Flanders and Mr. Rogers-style characterizations of most of our lives. But perhaps there's something else going on. Perhaps there is more than I saw, even in my upside-down Christian understanding of things. I think if we dig a little bit deeper, we can uncover a richer context. Because I believe that to render these demands and commands wrong is to remove the strength and the power and the potency from these statements. I don't think that Jesus only wants us to strive for niceness. I think that that does a disservice to him and to his message and robs us of our ability to stand on the world stage in the place that we are meant to be. 
because we are meant to live with power and strength that is not of this world. And we are supposed to take hold in our spheres of influence and make change where we go. And nice people don't do that. So let's relook at those statements and see if maybe there's something else going on here. Mercy. You know, it takes incredible strength to not exact justice that you deserve. Purity in heart. It takes incredible determination and focus to not be distracted by the things around you and set your heart on one thing. Persecution for righteousness sake. Well, it takes incredible wisdom and foresight to understand the benefits of going God's way in the face of ridicule. Persecution on Jesus' account. Well, our brothers and sisters in other places probably have a better handle on this than us, but it takes incredible resolve to stand under those kinds of circumstances. And peacemaking. Well, it takes incredible awareness to know the areas around you that lack peace and then the action of tactical precision to usher it in. And so I want to focus for the rest of our time on this idea of peacemaking because I believe that it is largely misunderstood and that perhaps we could be operating on another level that could bring change into our circumstances that would allow God's best to break through. So let's be real. There is not a lot of peace in the world. We see it in our relationships. We see it in our workplaces. We see it in the weekend train situation. I don't understand what it is about the weekend that everybody goes bananas. There's half the people on the train than on the rush hour train. And somehow, everyone has lost their mind. I don't get it. But on a bigger scale, our political situation, lack of peace. In the racial tensions that some of us experience firsthand, others read about, lack of peace. On the global scale, lack of peace. There's a thing called the Global Peace Index, which measures the 196 countries in our world and determines where on the spectrum of conflict they land. And at present, 2016, which is not present, last year, 2016, when they finished the survey, 10 out of 196 countries could say that they experienced no conflict. 10. Peace. So here's a definition of peace. It says, freedom from disturbance, quiet, and tranquility. I think this is where we get tripped up. I believe that as believers, as Christians, we know we're supposed to work towards peace, but we think that means we're supposed to be making things quiet and tranquil and conflict-free. I mean, that's the goal, right? Lack of conflict. That is the highest calling. Well, I think that stops short of what could ultimately be. You see, I think that the job of creating only quiet, tranquil, conflict-free environment. Let me try that again. Quiet, tranquil, conflict-free environments is the job of peacekeepers, not peacemakers. There's a difference. So peacekeepers are always running around and trying to keep the peace. They're busy, they're worried, they're frazzled. One of their highest values is an unrocked boat. 
See, peacekeepers are just trying to make things not get any worse, and they live in fear of disruption of the status quo. One of their other highest values is compromise, and they spend their time walking around on eggshells. And they tend not to bring all of themselves to situations for fear of disturbing people and disrupting things. They often feel taken advantage of. And in short, they are largely conflict allergic. So for those of us that identify with some of these statements, and I have to admit that I do spend some time doing some of these things, I have a question for us. This is a lot of activity in the name of peace. But how's our actual peace, personally? I wonder if we're sacrificing our own personal peace because we're trying to keep peace and not make peace. I think Jesus is asking us to behave differently. You see, peacemakers change things. Their highest value isn't lack of conflict. It's people around them flourishing. It's connection, full integration of person and calling and purpose. People living in the freedom that God intended them to live. Peacemakers are focused on other people. They bring peace with them where they go. And rather than operating out of fear, they operate out of a place of authority and out of responsibility. Peacemakers are willing to endure a little bit of discomfort for a better end game. And they know that conflict isn't the enemy. It's an opportunity. It's a place where God's best can break in. An opportunity for someone to flourish. And they understand that they have the power to make this happen. So I don't know if you understand this or not, but you carry an atmosphere with you wherever you go. And as you walk into places, you encounter other people's atmospheres, things that they have with them, things that they leave behind. This is a little bit of a newer concept to me, but something I'm trying to lean into because I want to better understand what's going on around me. And sometimes I feel like things just go sideways for no reason. And I'm starting to realize that sometimes there's more going on than what I can physically see. And so, I don't know if you've experienced this. You feel fine, everything's great, all of a sudden you're frustrated, out of nowhere, you're anxious, you're disturbed. Maybe that's not yours. Maybe that's somewhere around you. And you actually have the authority to shift that and to move that. And so, Romans 6.10 says that the Holy Spirit, who raised Jesus from the dead... That power lives inside of you. And you can access that power to change the circumstances and the surroundings around you. We no longer have to be victims of our surroundings. And so I know that there's some people that I know that already operate like this. They already understand what this is about. And when you walk into the atmosphere of somebody who gets this, who's a peacemaker things change for you. Not in like a bonsai tree, rock garden, zen way, but in a life-shifting, abundantly, things are the way they're meant to be kind of a way. And so no matter if you've never thought about this and never even considered this possibility, you can actually be this kind of person and you can start today. But it's about choosing which side of that line you're going to be on. Do you want to be a peacekeeper 
or do you want to be a peacemaker? So a couple of years ago, I kind of got into what a lot of guys got into, which is this Navy SEAL craze. Obviously not because I was one, but because I was interested in some of the things that they have to offer, things that they were teaching me about, mental toughness and stamina and focus and brotherhood and all of these things. And it was it was really fascinating, so I started to dig into this stuff. And there's one guy in particular that I started to pay attention to. His name is Mark Devine, and he's a retired SEAL guy. And he has this book called The Unbeatable Mind, and it's all about mental toughness. And so in this, I encountered this analogy that I think is relevant here. And it's adapted from a combat manual and combat strategy. And he says this. He says, look, in the world, most of the people are sheep. They have their heads down, they're grazing, they have basically zero situational awareness of what's going around them. And then there's this very small part of the population that are wolves, and they make it their business to prey upon the sheep. And so they're picking them off largely without the rest of the sheep even knowing. But there's another population, even smaller yet, and these people he calls sheepdogs. And his call is to become sheepdog strong. Because the sheepdog are looking out for the sheep, whether the sheep know it or not. They are focused on protecting the flock. Now, I understand that there are some problems with this analogy. Largely, we already know, like the whole, we're in church, we're all sheep, Jesus is a I get that. Like, suspend that for a second and just stay with me. His call is to stop being passive and to step up and take your place as a sheepdog in order to make a difference. Because most people around us are largely unaware of the situations, the circumstances, and the conflict that they find themselves in. But we have the authority and the opportunity to be agents of change to protect our spheres as long as it depends on us. Now, some of you are probably with me. I want to be a sheepdog. I don't want to be a sheep. Some of you are probably like, what the heck are you talking about? There's sheep and there's wolves and atmospheres. And I mean, I kind of like my little no drama life with my head in the sand and everything is just hunky-dory. I get that because I was that guy. So before I started working for a church, I spent eight years as a hairdresser. I worked at a decent shop in uh, Boca Raton, Florida, and whatever stereotypes you are conjuring, I promise are 100% accurate <laughs> on any part of that spectrum. So I don't know if you've ever seen like a reality show about a salon or something like that. I guarantee they did not have to do much writing. I mean, that drama just blossoms all on its own. And I worked in a shop that had about 25 operators, we had a huge support staff, and it was like a big, busy place, and it was drama central. So I had a policy, and it was, don't get involved. And it worked. Everyone knew my mantra. The other people used to recite it back to me, and it was great. For the first three years of my time there, I lived an incredibly drama-free life. You know what else I didn't have? influence. I had no connection. People around me 
were not flourishing and I wasn't flourishing because I wasn't doing what I was meant to do in that space. And so I made a decision to change how I approach my work environment. But lest you think I am manufacturing all of this out of some strange cryptic statement about peacemaking, let me show you a few things that the Bible says about how strong God feels about your role as a peacemaker. So here's Hebrews 12, 14. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Here's Romans 12, 18. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Here's Romans 14, 19. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. And lastly, 1 Thessalonians 5.15. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. These are not neutral statements. These are very strong statements. And what they're saying is there are sheep around you, the everyone's, but you be a sheepdog for peace. Strive and make every effort to do what is good for the people around you. Okay, so how do we do this? A couple of ideas. We'll start with this one. Peacekeepers keep their heads down. But peacemakers keep their heads up. Peacekeepers are trying to keep their heads down to avoid any conflict they can. They don't get involved. They're trying to stay out of it. And grazing sheep are not paying attention to their surroundings. And that's okay. They're sheep. But not us. We don't have to be oblivious to the situations and the circumstances that are around us. But it means that we have to start paying attention. And we do this by listening. You know, God has a lot to say about how we should bring peace. He calls people blessed that bring peace. Maybe he has something to say to us in the midst of it about how we actually go about it. So when you find yourself in circumstances, in situations, you can start asking God what's going on. Have him speak to you because it takes wisdom to enter each situation properly and strive for the peace that this situation needs. But you've got to commit to keeping your head up and starting to pay attention. Number two is that peacekeepers are actually victims of their circumstances. But peacemakers take responsibility for the environments that they find themselves in. Peacemakers actually get involved, not in an inappropriate way, but in a caring for others and making things better kind of way. They stand in the gap for others. I remember a situation that I found myself in and an opportunity for peace at the salon that I was working at. And uh, we had a, a friend uh, that were a couple that I worked with the wife and my wife and her business worked with the husband. And we'd been friends for a long time. They'd been married for like 20 years. They were older than us, had three kids. And a member of the couple had an affair. And it was incredibly devastating to the family. It was, it was just, it wreaked havoc everywhere. And we had an opportunity to step in 
and be an agent of change, to speak hope and life and reconciliation when the world was telling them something else. When everything was pushing them away from each other, we got to be one of the voices that pushed them back towards each other. And they're reconciled, and they are living a fantastic life together today. We were able to pray for them when they didn't even know it and usher in peace to a situation. I don't think that we're the only reason that they're back together, but we are certainly a piece of their story and their legacy. And I wonder if that wasn't the only reason I was at the salon was for that one relationship and that one family's trajectory to change. So third, peacekeepers maintain their own comfort at all costs, but peacemakers take action for the good of others even at the risk of their own comfort. Sheepdogs know that they're going to have to embrace conflict every once in a while. They know it, and they do it anyways. And sometimes, it's uncomfortable to be an agent of peace. It's probably going to cost you something. But it's also going to gain you something greater as a result, just like everything else that's worthwhile that you've done. And so... I remember that the highest calling of the peacemaker isn't the absence of conflict, but a flourishing soul. I wonder what would have become of our friend's relationship if we weren't willing to mix it up, wade into their pain with them, and be a part of their messy situation. It was good for us, and it was good for them. And so, I have a couple of questions for us as we think through this, and that is this. I wonder what part of our worlds are suffering because we are being peacekeeping sheep and not peacemaking sheepdogs. Where is it that we can actually have some ownership of the atmospheres around us and usher in peace on the behalf of others? What would it look like if we were to heed Jesus' upside-down command and intentionally make it so that when people enter our atmosphere, that they're entering a conflict-free zone. So you and I have the power, the authority, and the opportunity to make peace. We can leave people and situations and circumstances better than we found them. That's the legacy that I want for myself and that I want for all of us. I think that kind of person is happy, highly favored, to be envied. And, you know, Jesus said that peacemakers would be called sons of God. And that's because as children of God, we have access to what the Father has. And the Father is a peacemaker. And so we get to be peacemakers on his behalf. And perhaps this is the most important point. You can't give what you don't have. And so the peace that God offers is the starting point of being a peacemaker. You know, Jesus is often called the Prince of Peace. He did the ultimate peacemaking act by entering history, sacrificing his comfort at the expense of his very life in order to wade into our mess. People that had absolutely no hope for peace and he stepped in and he changed that. He sacrificed himself 
so that we could have peace. I know that things changed for me the day that I understood that, the day that I accepted that and decided that I would accept that gift of peace that I was being offered. The trajectory of my life and my spiritual journey changed as a result. And as a result now, we have the opportunities to be peacemakers because of that act of peace. And so I'd love the opportunity to just pray for us today. Father, thank you for allowing us to be able to share in your peace. I pray that you will open our eyes to new areas, new opportunities, new places where we can usher in peace on behalf of others. We want to be peacemakers. And so God, fill us up with peace so that we can pour it out. Thank you for listening to the Liberty Church Podcast. If you are in New York City or will be visiting the New York area soon, please be our guest on Sunday. For service times and locations, please visit libertychurchnyc.com.